0: Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show.
1: Classic hits.
0: One man who predicted uh, that this would all go away on its own, and he tweeted on Wednesday. He says, I'll tell you now in a second who he is. Some laughed at my prediction at the end of March uh, that we would start edging back to normality around the second week in May. It was right. And like many other eminent scientists, oncologists, professors, immunologists and people like that, he predicted that eventually it would extinguish itself. Professor Carol uh, Silker is an oncologist for 50 years, the CMO of Ruthford Health, Ed, and he's the health exec, uh, ex-director of the WHO Cancer Programme, and he joins me on the line. Good afternoon, Good afternoon, now. How are you? Um, Now, you tweeted the other day, I suppose, that some laughed at your prediction, and you did predict some time ago that this would extinguish itself, COVID-19 would extinguish itself. Explain that to me, if you can, why you thought that it would just naturally just go away.
1: I I think what worried me as an oncologist is we've seen a huge drop-off in the number of new cancer patients coming through in, in March, April, and May. And it's not that people stop getting cancer it can't be um they're just not coming through because the health system has broken down to treat covid patients our system has done very well your system has actually done even better i'm looking at the numbers on the screen now you've done much much better than us overall both number of cases and deaths and so on uh you've done something right and uh you know it's been the same in all the other countries china korea singapore you can see the the pattern's the same, and that's, you just look at the pattern. But and we, have we have been to...
0: criticised, Professor, we have been criticised in the fact that this time last year in April, we would have carried out, say, 30,000 cervical smear uh, screening tests, whereas this year we've done none because they've postponed them, and they've postponed mammograms, uh, they've postponed all sorts of cancer screening, and the government of gone under a lot of criticism for this, and
1: are asked them to get it back up and running again. I know, and uh, but you're still doing better than some places here. I just read a report in today's GP magazine Pulse that says that even urgent cancer referrals are being turned down in East London. 500 patients were turned down uh, at a hospital in East London. I mean, this is not the way to go. We've got to get over Corona, and move to the next phase, and you know, I'm not. I'm a Twitter virgin. I never had Twitter until March. And uh, it's a bizarre medium, but I think Mm. it's very powerful because it gets the message that we've got to get moving. We've got to assume uh, the the best possible, but, you know, prepare for the worst possible. Okay, what do you you say
0: to people then? Because, look, you have a PhD in immunology as well, so you have a fair knowledge of all this and how this works. And if we look back through history, we've had quite a lot of viruses in the last, you know, 100 years or so, starting back with the Spanish flu back in, uh, you know, uh, 1919. And then, of course, we would have had, you know, MERS, SARS, uh, influenza, of course, and you've all viruses. Do you think there's a pattern of fear? Is there, is there a psychology of fear? Because there's no doubt people are dying. Um, obviously not in the high percentages that was first predicted by the WHO, who you worked with yourself. But um, those percentages seem to be, the mortality percentage seems to be a lot lower than originally thought going back eight weeks ago. So did we make all the right decisions? And did this psychology of fear that we've created, is that down to social media?
1: It's very, very powerful, the psychology of fear. And, it, you know, there's a special unit, the Behaviour Insight Team in Number 10 Downing Street, and a group of psychologists that have really brainwashed us. It's a psychops type structure and they, they brainwash us and now we can't unbrainwash them. I've got a three-year-old grandson. I was playing in the park with a kite and he suddenly shouted at me, two meters, grandpa. Uh, and so even he has picked that up. And we've got to get out of this to get back to normality. Now, obviously, we've got to do it safely. And you're having the same problem we're having with your lockdown. There's a group of people that are terrorised that don't want to come out of lockdown. They don't want to stay locked up for months on end. And there's other groups that say, we've got to get going. We've got to get the shops open, the businesses running, the pubs open, and so on. So the population and
0: are I- divided into two, essentially, where we're now pitting yeah. people against each other, those who have this, I suppose, in some sense, irrational, illogical fear, because we have stated our CMS or Chief Medical Officer has stated in this country that the community spread has been extinguished uh, and the clusters we have are mainly just in nursing homes sadly where yeah, people are losing their lives currently at the moment and our our figures actually on Monday we had no deaths. Uh, we had nine I think the day before and 17 yesterday. So in saying that, you know, it's kind of going up and down but it's, it's kind of petering anywhere between kind of 5 and 12 generally speaking over the last week or two. I mean, is it time for us and Leo Varadkar, our Taoiseach or Prime Minister as you would call it, to turn around and say let's move these phases forward, let's get the economy back up and running, or is that a risk?
1: It is a risk, but it's a a calculated risk, and you can monitor it, and you can stop it at any stage. That's the thing. You're much better at testing in in Ireland than than, than we are.
0: No, (laughs) uh, we've been criticised over that too. The testing has been abysmal. (laughs) Abysmal. Uh, So they've been criticised badly over that, but anyway...
1: I mean to hear the problem my wife's a nurse she's gone back to work after eight years in retirement, and she's doing the testing in the local hospital and there's plenty of nurses doing it there's not enough people coming forward they need to and we need to be systematic about this, and I'm sure it's the same all over the world but you know Neil, it, it's like we're doing a dance with this virus. We're the partners and the virus is a partner. And I like to think we're doing the last dance. We've just got to get out of here. And the only way out of here is to start opening things up, carefully measuring what's going on. And as long as the incidence isn't going up, that means the magic number, the r naught, is staying down. Then we're OK and the virus will die out. virus doesn't want to kill us. It wants to live with us. It's trying to be part of our society, like MERS and SARS that you mentioned at the beginning, before it. It's trying to to be friends with us, if you like.
0: Okay, so in other words, these viruses, like swine flu, which has been around since the 1970s, had a bit of a resurgence there in 2013, I think. These viruses will always be there every now and again. They might just raise their head and annoy us a little bit, but we're going to have to live with it. It's just something that humans will have to live with, as we did with influenza.
1: Exactly. And there'll be slight nuances in the different viruses. I have different infectivities, different severity, targeting different patient groups. I mean, the, the demographic of this one is clear. It's very much age-related. I'm in the highest risk group because I'm so old. I've been a consultant in the NHS for 40 years, so you can imagine my age. So. Uh, But it's not just age, it's fitness, it's body size, it's other diseases, lung, heart, diabetes, kidney, all these sort of things. So as we move forward, we're learning more about it. And we've got to have preparedness in there. And I think UK certainly was caught completely unprepared. And, did, did was Boris know,
0: was Boris late to the game, so to speak? I mean, initially he kind of not poo pooed it like Donald Trump, I suppose. But what he essentially did, he came out with this theory of herd immunity, which has now turned into a dirty word, which it shouldn't be because <laughs> because human beings, of course, have relied on herd immunity all their lives. But but in saying that, was he too quick to come out and say, "Asher, oh, sure, look, let's just let this let this rock on and roll on, let's all catch it and get over with it"? I mean, that was kind of that, that was kind of what he was saying at the start, wasn't it?
1: That that was the start. That was early March. It's funny how things change. It seems like months ago, although it was only three months ago at the most when it all began. Mm. And uh, now I was telling people, look, forget it. It's all going to blow away. Carry on with the cancer treatments in the hospital. Just ignore it, all chaps. Yeah. Uh, and uh, people said, no, you know, people were skeptical. And I was wrong. I'm the first to admit it. It was much more serious than we thought. But... Maybe we came into lockdown here a week too late. Uh, maybe it would have been a lot better. But now the biggest difficulty is getting out. There's no trust in our government here. And uh, that went last weekend. Of with course, the Dominic government yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we're stuck with the public that don't trust us. They're trying to introduce this rather intrusive uh, test and trace scheme, which started today. I mean, what do I do if a clipboard, a lady with a clipboard and a couple of policemen pitch up at my house this evening and tell me I've got to isolate for two weeks? Do I tell them to go away or do I do what they say? This is going to be difficult for everybody. It's not an easy solution.
0: I mean, you've also predicted as an oncologist, as we have predicted, well, some sectors of, the, of media over here, a lot of media are afraid to go against the government or even talk against the government at the moment. But you have predicted the secondary effects and the secondary deaths, which I think is really important to talk about, because we will get through this. We will all come out of this very quickly, I hope, in the next couple of months, and hopefully get back to the old normal and not the new one they keep talking about, because I don't believe social distancing will work for human beings in the long term. Uh, but in saying that, this secondary effect, America have quantified... Quantified it at 170,000 uh, you've quantified it uh, I believe at 50,000 per six months of people with early diagnosis of cancer and how did you quantify that figure or how do you come to that figure?
1: So, so we would expect every month 30,000 people to present in the UK half of them sadly won't s- not survive their cancer long term they may live a few years but they won't they eventually will come but half of them will be completely cured by effective treatment now, if they delay things, the cancer goes from limited organ—breast, lung, colon, wherever—and spreads to lymph nodes, then into the bloodstream and around. So it goes from stage one, as we call it, when it's localized, to stage three and four. And the outcomes for stage three and four cancer are much, much worse than for stage one. So that. So, so what we're saying
0: is, if a woman feels a lump or thinks she may have breast cancer in the go, early in the early stages. The 85% survival rate in the early stages in phase one, but as soon as you get to phase two, that probably drops down to
1: about 30 or 40%. Maybe uh, you would know the figures better than I do. It's, it's stage three when it gets out of the area that's the real problem, but basically you're right. And the only way to deal with this is for people to not to be afraid to go to the doctor, telephone interviews, fine, uh, and then get tests done, and we've got to get motoring within our healthcare system. It's a problem all over the world. Some countries do it better than others, depending on the capacity of healthcare generally, and attitudes of both the people and the whole medical system. In the UK, we're obsessed with the second wave. We've got a plan for it. Well, it is, happen- that, is,
0: is that going to come? Because according to the WHO, now, well, I mean, the WHO have been right and wrong all the way through this. They've been both. Uh, but they're saying now that they don't believe there'll be a second wave.
1: I know it's great. They changed their tune. I've been saying, well, show me the evidence. Just give, give us the data. I've got a vested interest as a cancer specialist in, getting in the, not being a second wave, as we all have indeed for society. But uh, I was delighted when uh, the head of infection Uh, A Spanish lady spoke in very nice English to say that that there's not going to be a second wave. There's no evidence in the countries that came out long before we started both Ireland Mm -hmm. and uh, the U.K. In China, Uh, of course, uh, yeah. yeah. Exactly, and mind you, do we believe way.
0: everything we hear from China? I mean, that's another thing. <laughs> that's a whole other question, really, isn't it? We can have that conversation with Donald Trump, uh, I'm pretty sure, and uh, uh, and of course we could have a conversation about the WHO to Donald Trump, but but in relation to the virus itself, is it possible that it's seasonal as well? I mean, the influenza obviously is seasonal. And we've seen a huge drop, by way figures come out today in this country, an absolutely massive reduction in the amount of people with flu, chicken pox, STDs, uh, surprisingly enough, because people are not having affairs anymore. Um, all those things, because they're all in lockdown, they can't get to see the mistress. So all those things have dropped <laughs> immensely, which I suppose is you know, common sense, I suppose, because nobody's actually in c- contact with anybody. But I mean, no, going I- forward, do you think this may be seasonal?
1: It's partly that. There's no doubt the virus doesn't survive so well in hot weather and, you know, a park in the sunshine, it's not like to survive more than 10 minutes on a bench or on anything. So it's a lot less of a problem. I mean, the problem we have going forward is how, how fast we can get out of this. How fast do you have to do it? What define? And we're all in the same boat. All countries are the same. I've just seen a very amusing uh, Twitter from a friend of mine in Switzerland who, who's got a list of what you can do and the dates in June. They're much more regularized than the land of the cuckoo clock would be, of course. And it says sex workers can go back on the 6th of June, subject <laughs> to social distancing. Can you imagine
0: <laughs> that? You stand over one side of the room, I'll stand over the other side, we'll get naked and we'll talk about it for a while. Okay. Uh, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, okay, Mike O'Leary, of course, was on the media a lot yesterday, ahead of Ryanair, saying that, you know, he's kind of getting sick of the government now. He wants to get the planes back in the sky. He said social distancing is not going to be a thing in airplanes because it wouldn't be commercially viable to have, you know, 20 people on a 300, you know, a seat jet at two metres apart. And, you know, OK, they can wear masks if they want to, but he wants to get them back up in the sky. There's a mixed reaction to that story, and I put a poll up on Twitter, and it's kind of 50-50. If I said, if planes were available, would you go on holidays this year? And there's a fear factor of 50% of people saying, no, I'm not getting into an airplane, and 50% saying they would. I mean, what do you recommend? The airline industry is really necessary. They bring a lot of money into the country, a lot of taxes, and apart from anything else, people need to socialize and go on holidays. So when do you think they should go back
1: in the sky? I think Michael's right. He's one of my heroes, and I think he should just get going. I'd certainly fly. I'd have no qualms about it. I would take the risk. Um, you know, going in. I'm more scared of taking off and landing than anything else. Uh, but. I think the fear is palpable in people's faces. And I was at Heathrow collecting some stuff the other day, and you just look around and everyone is, is scared. And we've got to get out of that fear and get back to normal travelling uh, again. Hospitality industry shattered. It's got to get going again. And uh,
0: So do we, have we to, do it? is it is it just that we need to say... I suppose there's a trade-off. And the trade-off in life is that, you know, we communicate with each other, we touch each other, we touch surfaces that each other touch. And the trade-off is that unfortunately, some people will catch a virus and some people will die. Generally, those who are in a more vulnerable situation. And that's just life. Is, is that what you're saying?
1: It is. And if you look in the UK, 50,000 people will probably die from coronavirus by the time this is over. Uh, and many of those that have died anyway they're older well, 50,000 die per month in
0: the UK anyway
1: yeah, exactly and then the next thing is how many cancer patients will die if we don't get back to normal forgetting industry forgetting the economy forgetting the pleasure of going abroad on a plane and so on it's if you just take the crude looking at the death and the suffering that you're going to cause and then the mental health issues the anguish it causes to especially to poorer people that have no resources no gardens they have single parents, all sorts of things out there that cause mental health havoc. And it's not being dealt with because the systems are essentially closed down. One of our
0: ministers today, John Halligan, has called on the government to bring forward our phase plan. I'm, I'm not too sure if you're familiar with it, but our phase plan started on the 18th of May. It goes uh, to the 8th of June as the next phase, where we allow household visits. not very much really in it and some small businesses to open. Uh, phase 3 is a little bit more substantial. It allows small social gatherings, creches and child to open, uh, other non-essential retail outlets. Basically what Boris Johnson is talking about for the 15th of June, and we're talking about the 29th of June. Our phases don't end. To the 10th of August, where we'll allow slightly larger gatherings, uh, return to work across all sectors. So, look, we're looking at mid to late August before the business is back up and running in this and going forward with two metre distance. They're refusing to budge on that. Do you think that is too long?
1: I think it's too long. You could speed it up. And you've done so well in this that you could really speed it up. And look at the experience of Austria, uh, Czech Republic, Denmark, Norway. They've been there since the 14th of April. They've had no problems moving along. And people are now getting more and more confident there won't be a second wave. The two-meter distance is an interesting one. WHO recommend one meter. They've never changed it. Uh, our government's two meters uh, but Boris is looking at it again, he says, um, and uh, there's no logic to two metres. I um, mean, if you're really going to socially distance, you have to not go in the same room as someone if you want to be sure. Yeah. Uh, but as long as someone hasn't got a fever, they've not had the illness, uh, then th- there's no need to be more. Well, than well two, two metres
0: no. is going to make it impossible for the majority of business to open with limited capacity and make any money. I exactly. mean, for, you know, I mean, it's public exactly. transport, everything else. I mean, it's going to be impossible.
1: And a restaurant, I mean, you're, unless you go to a very posh restaurant, <laughs> you can't possibly have two metres for apart from it, you know. Well, have you been to <laughs> Ireland?
0: We have a lot of pubs in this country who are not very, <laughs> not very happy at the moment. And, you know, there was a demonstration on television of how we would have to open the pubs, and they won't be open until the end of August, um, with a two metre social distance rule. Uh, and that's just not going to work. There's going to be no live yeah. music, no DJs, um, no standing at the bar. You have to stay seated. You're not allowed to stand up. And there'll be two meters between. You should be shouting at each other. But, so it's just, and everybody is at the same thing. There's no point in them opening. It's not going to work, right? So the new normal that they talk about going forward, uh, just finally on this. I mean, they've talked about the new normal. Do you buy into that cliche? Or do you think, to hell with the new normal, go back to the old normal. We're human beings. This is what we
1: need to do go back to the old normal. It'll happen. We'll get back into the pub. The Guinness will flow from the Liffey and we'll all be happy. <laughs> uh, I think it's the only way forward now.
0: Okay, but listen, thank you very much, Nita. It's been a pleasure to talk Never. to you. Professor Carol Sakora, thank you very much. Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show.
1: Classic hits.